At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps. The cat cameos. People not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. What makes a Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea, or a deep tissue massage at the spa, Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint, excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay, and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. Everybody, welcome to episode 103 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Today is the fourth and final of the North Carolina episodes. We will be speaking to through hiker Sean Camp. He has completed the AT, the BMT, and the CDT. And if you don't know what those acronyms stand for, don't worry, because we will be discussing them in depth in this episode. Sean has a very intriguing story about how he became a thru-hiker and how his life changed drastically from the path he was on to the path he now pursues. We've talked about thru-hiking and backpacking on numerous episodes of this podcast, but this is probably the most in-depth discussion we have ever had specifically about the life of a thru-hiker. So if any aspect of thru-hiking is interesting to you, you are in for a treat on this episode. And with that, let's go talk to Sean Camp. My name is Sean Camp, um, big long-distance backpacker, just got off the CDT, done the AT, BMT, a couple other trails, generally just love walking really far and eating a lot, so it kind of fits perfectly with my recent addictions. <laughs> yeah, so I've known you for a day and a half now, and if there are two things I know about you, you like to eat a lot of food and you like to play vintage games from the 90s. And a vintage, vintage game. game. Yeah, <laughs> that was what I was going to say. <laughs> 
Yeah, a lot of Goldeneye. Kind of rediscovered a childhood favorite, so it's devoting a couple hours a day to Goldeneye right now while I recover from hiking. So I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, kind of about your background. Like your big thing now is long distance backpacking, but that is not how you started out from what you were saying earlier. So so let's talk a little bit about that crazy history where you had $2,000 suits and oh, then sure. ended up the guy you are now. Right on. Yeah. So I originally went to art school and ended up dropping out, working a few years. And I went back to school up at Appalachian State. This kind of ties into getting into hiking, maybe sowing the seeds, but I studied political science and history with an environmental focus. Ended up working for the government, doing some environmental work, a lot of water quality, and working on some political campaigns. And I was really passionate about it, but just couldn't really find my place, I guess, in in the back of my brain. I wanted to do some traveling. Didn't know what exactly that meant, though. At the time, I wasn't really a big hiker. I always loved the outdoors but never done more than just overnight trips. So I was working for the government, doing those campaigns, and just always felt a little out of place, even though I was passionate about it. A lot of the people around me weren't. Yeah, what drew you to politics specifically? Like, what was the draw there for you? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I always loved history. So of course, you learn about American history and politics is tied into that. But I had a teacher in high school, it was actually my baseball coach, who forced all of us on the baseball team. And when I say forced, encouraged us to take his... (laughs) Yeah, maybe I phrased that wrong, but he encouraged us to take... Strangled us until we agreed. Strangled us, yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he he got us to all sign up for his class, which was... uh, it was kind of a social studies, American history course. Uh, he ended up talking about the JFK assassination for most of the semester. but So that's what brought you into kind politics, of, yeah, in a, in a weird way. I just had a coach that I looked up to who was a really cool dude, and he told us a lot of crazy government conspiracy stuff, but you know, also taught us about how it works. And I don't know, it just piqued my interest. I think having a teacher that I liked... He was really good at getting us all excited about it. You know, it wasn't the typical just give you worksheets and typical public school mess where you don't want to be there. He really inspired us and got us interested. So I think from that moment, uh, which was, I want to say, sophomore year of high school, I was pretty interested in it. And then, you know, I turned 18 my senior year, so I was able to vote and start being active in it. And so I was always interested in, in politics from that angle. So when I got out of the art program and kind of decided that that was more of a hobby and not a career path, I... I picked political science and I really loved it in school. When I left art school, when I applied to Appalachian State, the number one transfer to school in North Carolina, I got in in April, but they wouldn't let me come till the next January. So I had a bunch of time to kill. So I ended up working on a judicial campaign. So it was before I was fully studying political science, I got to work for a, a North Carolina state Supreme Court judge. This is what I find really intriguing. Like you were initially going to be an arts person. Yes. Ended up in politics. And then now you've transitioned yourself into like long distance hiker, outdoors person. Like I feel like those are three groups that don't necessarily always intersect. Totally. In yeah. I feel like that's kind of the story of my life is like <laughs> my friend groups and my interests make no sense at all. And anytime someone feels like they can put me in a box, they're like, wait, what? You know, even on trail now, you start, you kind of tell everyone everything about you and people are like, wait, you draw too and you do this and you can tell me all about this aspect of the government and how it works. And I don't know, I've always had kind of a diverse interest base and kind of always been interested in a lot of different things. So to me, it makes perfect sense, but I'm sure from the outside, otherwise you'd be insane. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And maybe I am. I don't know. (laughs) What, What was the, what was like the overall goal, like your overarching goal in political science? What was, what were you working towards? For me, it was really, I guess, like I said, I wasn't a big hiker at the time, but I love the outdoors. I grew up just being outside constantly. 
So for me, my interest was more environmental conservation and and kind of protecting the environment. That was my main focus. Okay, so that makes those it kind of ties the hiking a lot into more, it. Yeah. Sure. And when I went to Appalachian State, I picked that college specifically for its location. I'd actually never visited campus until my first day of class. I mean, I knew it was a good school and they had a good political science department, but my focus was to be in the Appalachian Mountains and get to hike as much as possible. So before I was a big hiker, I kind of wanted to be a big hiker. And going back to school, I picked a place where I could pursue that. And I did. And it was awesome. (laughs) And I'm assuming before that, you're just like hitting day hikes and Hitting day hikes. Yeah. I mean, I was living in Raleigh and we had Umstead State Park, which I love. I'd been big into long distance running. I grew up playing baseball and hockey, but I would always run to stay in shape for both of those sports. So I was a big runner. I was doing a lot of races, like half marathons, marathons, stuff like that. But I started getting into trail running in some of the little local state parks. And I would always stop halfway through a trail run, even if I wasn't tired and I would start wanting to look at stuff on the ground and trees and realized that I enjoyed hiking a little more than running. Uh, moving up to, to Boone for Appalachian State, I I just started getting out on the trail. The Appalachian Trail's right there and Linville Gorge and all these beautiful places. And I just really spiraled out of control, I guess. <laughs> for, in a good way, I guess. Yeah. So did you have a drive to do long distance trails from the beginning or is that something that kind of came later as you did more and more? I remember one of the first hikes I did when, so I transferred up there in January, like I said, and I had a random roommate. So I had some buddies that had gotten a house and I was supposed to stay with them, but they had to, they had to move in in August they were already students there. So I ended up having to live in the dorms for one semester. And my random roommate, who's one of my best friends to this day, he was a, he was on the cross country team and he was a big runner and hiker. And he'd been doing sections of the Appalachian Trail since he was a little kid. And he grew up in West Virginia. And so he was always out hiking and running. And, I, and one day he's like, man, we had a crazy snowstorm. And he's like, man, you want to go out on the Appalachian Trail? And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. I didn't have any gear at the time. I had some boots. I remember I put on two pairs of khaki pants and I borrowed a pair of gloves and I had like a ski jacket and we went up, parked on Highway 19 and went up Big Hump Mountain and got in the Rhone Highlands. And it was a crazy snowstorm. And I remember him looking at me like, oh shit, I shouldn't have brought him out here. But I was stoked and we ended up crushing a bunch of miles and I loved it. And I was like, man, I need to buy gear. And I had heard of the Appalachian Trail, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. He's like, oh, yeah, it goes from Georgia to Maine. And, and in my brain, that moment, basically my first time on the Appalachian Trail, I was like, I want to do this someday. Yeah, and so you grew up in this region where it's kind of pervasive. It's all around, you know, and people are aware of it. But you mentioned you didn't know a whole lot about it. As a person like me who grew up in the South and now lives in L.A., where people don't have a sense, they don't know the PCT exists, like a lot of people and various other long-distance trails, do you feel like this region is different and people are very aware of the AT? Or do you think it's only specific subgroups? groups that kind of recognize it's there. Like when you say this region, you mean Western North Carolina or North Carolina in general? Just, yeah, just like the East and where you, where you've lived in general. Sure. I mean, back kind of more central Eastern part of the state, I feel like everyone's heard of it, but doesn't know a whole lot about it. Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of people on trail from those areas. I think everyone hikes the trail and then moves to the mountains. So they don't really (laughs) go back to their communities and kind of, oh, I did the AT or whatever trail. So I had heard of it, but I didn't know a lot about the details of it. It never really crossed my mind as something to do or, or plan to do until I actually got out on it. I feel like that happens a lot with long distance trails is people hear about it and it just seems like this crazy, wow, who would want to go 2000 plus miles? Right. Yeah. And they go do 10 miles on it and they're like, whoa, that was fun. And you can just keep doing this every day. So my interest in it, and then I started, it spiraled out of control, started researching it, kind of happened after 
getting out there and experiencing it firsthand in a pretty extreme conditions being in a big snow you know and I thought oh man if the weather's nice this is going to be amazing so from that moment on that was probably 2012 I kind of got it in my head that when I graduated I would figure out a way to get out there as soon as possible is that what happened you graduated um, and got on it no you not graduated and became a dude with a two thousand dollar suit yeah so yeah <laughs> I guess so so I I did grad I graduated in 2014 and then I I went to work I didn't think I would get kind of the dream government job right away. I figured I'd have to work a couple random jobs and uh, maybe I could go do the trail and then then keep trying. But I kind of, in a weird way, I ended up applying for a temp job, county level government in the environmental services department. I got the temp job and I just kind of kicked ass at it and they all liked me. And so it it turned into a full-time job really quickly. It was a good entry-level job, so I figured, okay, I can do this for a year or so, save some money, and then go do the trail. And about six months into that job, yeah, I was buying some custom suits, and I wanted to look nice, you know. About six months into the job, one of my coworkers retired after being there for 30 years, and my boss called me into her office, and they offered me my coworker's job. So it'd be a huge step up in money and a more serious career-oriented job. And at the time, I was toying with the idea of going back to school for a master's degree. I, you know, like I said, I've been thinking about the AT. And while I was in college, I was like, oh, you know, I'll work a year and I'll go hike the AT. But once I got that job and I started getting paychecks and I started getting into that lifestyle and the idea of quitting and going hiking seemed more and more distant. But when I got offered that full-time promotion, I kind of had a little crisis in my brain where I thought if I take this, it's going to be a good amount of money. I've never really had any money. I could work it for a couple of years, save up everything and go travel. Or what I thought more than likely would happen is that I would get stuck there for 20 years. And right. And then it's just going to become really difficult as you progress in this career and you realize, oh, new opportunities are opening. Well, I can't take time off because I have to do this job. And then 10 years later, you're still making that same excuse. Exactly. But at the same time, right, if you quit, then you potentially kill your career. Exactly. And that was kind of my dilemma. And they actually were going to even help pay for grad school. But what kind of sealed the deal for me is they wanted me to do a different grad program than I was interested in. I just couldn't do that. And so I ended up saying, oh, can I get a night to think about it? And they were kind of confused. Like, why would you <laughs> think about, you know, more money in this job that you're seemingly working towards? And the next day I went into my boss's office. This was in October of 2014. And I said, I'm going to go hike the Appalachian Trail. And she was like, what are you talking about? What even is that? Same kind of thing. She's I, like, you're too young for a midlife crisis. Yeah, What's going on? exactly. And she's like, okay, what is that? A couple weeks? You know, can we give you an extended <laughs> vacation? I was like, no, it's, it'll be a couple months. You know, I, I figured it'd take me five or six months. That's what I told her. And she's like, how long is this thing? I was like, oh, it's from Georgia to Maine. Like, and you're going to go now? I was like, well, it's October. I, I can't go till March at the earliest, but I didn't want to take this job and quit. And I was, you know, I didn't want to be a jerk. I was thinking about in my brain, I was like, maybe I should just make work this high paying job for a couple more months. But I didn't think that was the right thing to do. And I really liked all them. So I didn't want to screw them over in March and have them train me to just leave. So at that moment, I kind of thought, oh man, now I'm going to get fired or they're, or they're going to say, okay, have fun, but you can't work here anymore. And then I didn't have enough money saved in October. I was banking on working till March and they ended up being really cool about it. And like I said, it was an, envir it was an environmental department of the government. So a lot of hikers, people that had done weekend hikes or Boy Scouts, you know, some of my bosses were into backpacking, not in through hiking, but into backpacking in general. So they, some of them thought it was kind of a cool idea. So they ended up letting me stay at my job 
until basically I was ready to hike. So that was pretty cool. But they had to be befuddled. They were a bit befuddled. <laughs> yeah. So at first I was like, man, what am I doing? Am I screwing up a really good opportunity? At, and you had multiple months to talk yourself out of it. I had a lot of months to talk myself out of it. Yeah. But like I said, a few of the people there, some of the people that had been there upwards of 20 years, some of the higher ups that I'd never really talked to, you know, you just pass them in the hallway and they would pull me aside and be like, man, you're going to go do the Appalachian Trail? And I was like, yeah, I think so. And they're like, oh, I wish I had done that when I was your age. And now I got a family and a house. And so it kind of... Kind of like justifies your decision. It kind of justified yeah. my decision. And not that there's anything wrong with their lives, but I, I kind of looked at them like, I'm going to be the one saying that to the you know 25-year-old right, right, kid right. 20 it's, years from yeah, now. It's the regret thing. The regret thing. And they seemed, they were like, oh, go do it, man. And so they were really encouraging me, and uh, that made me feel really good about the decision. So what was reaction like from family and friends? Because they see you working towards this career, building it, and then all of a sudden you say, oh, I'm going to throw this away because I want to go walk a long time in the woods. Yeah, um, friends, I guess some of my college friends that had seen me hiking every weekend and talking about it were like, okay, I guess that makes sense. And <laughs> other friends were like, dude, what the hell are you doing? You got a pretty good job. Family, they weren't not supportive, but they were a bit hesitant at what I was doing. I mean, my parents were kind of like, hey man, you just went to school. My Neither of my parents went to college. So like, man, you just went and got a degree and you got this sweet job that I thought you wanted and you don't have a lot of money saved and you still have all these bills. And what the hell is the Appalachian Trail? Because <laughs> they, you know, I thought you just like doing this on the weekend, but, and they didn't know what through hiking was. So I, I think they were supportive, but, and I don't want to say worried, but they were kind of, they just didn't understand what it was like yeah. most people. And I, you know, they care about you and they don't want you to throw away a great opportunity. So I think they were a little confused by it. And it took a while. It took till I got about halfway through the trail before they were like, oh, hell yeah, you're really doing this. And I see that you're happy. And how long did you end up being at the job bef before you were gone? Um, so in total, about seven months is okay, how long so, I lasted. So just a little over half a year you're there, which is enough time to kind of get a sense of how you feel about it. By the time you left, what were your thoughts? Did you feel like, oh, I'm making the right decision? I don't like this after all. Or did you still second guess yourself? So prior to getting out on the Appalachian Trail, I had never, my longest hike was 38 miles and I had never camped in rain. I'd only spent two nights out in a row. So I guess in my brain, I, I thought I was making the right decision with quitting the job and going for it, but I had a lot of doubts on my ability to even complete the hike. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had enough confidence to try it, but in the back of my brain, I was like, man, I, I'm going to do... 2200 miles and I've only ever done 38 but the motivation of quitting that job and and wanting to prove everyone wrong and kind of prove myself right and that it was the right decision pushed me along to give it a go you go into the job you quit the job and then you start the trail the next day my last day of work was a Friday and I was going to be on trail that Sunday which was going to be I think March 1st I think it was a Sunday so I'd have two days from when I quit work to start hiking. And you know, that's early March. That's still the winter in the mountains in the Southern Appalachians, but we got a snowstorm and it actually snowed in Raleigh, which is where I was working. So we're only at 200 feet above sea level and it's snowing. And I started looking up temperatures in North Georgia and it was going to get down to zero degrees on Blood Mountain, which is about 30 miles into the trail. And I was like, man, I don't think I'm ready for this right now. So I gave myself an extra week and ate a lot of food and just kind of hung out. And so that, that week was actually the time where I was kind of second guessing myself. Cause when I was at the job, you know, you're working all day and then I get off work and start thinking about the trail. But when you have a week, the money's saved, you quit the job. I had all the gear 
I had a ride down to Springer Mountain. That week is kind of when I was second-guessing things and looking at the weather. I'd done some winter camping, but not day after day after day, and so the weather was kind of scaring me a little bit. So I was second-guessing things. Right, and you probably hadn't dealt with you know this kind of long distance, so did you feel confident in what you were packing and what you were carrying and the weight you would have with you, or were you still figuring all that out as well? I feel like I was still kind of figuring that out, and I, w- I erred on the side of caution. I definitely had more gear than I needed starting out. I don't know if anyone ever starts a story like this without making that exact statement. <laughs> yeah, it always happens. You can talk to any through hiker, you know, do all the research in the world, but you're like, man, it was zero degrees last week. I think I need these Gore-Tex pants and I need this and that. And you hear all the horror stories of the Smokies. And I'd been in the Smokies in January. I'd been in the Smokies in winter storms and it was never as bad as the stories make it out to be. But you're like, what if they're right? And I'm going to be out there and I can't just go to my car and go home. So definitely overpacked. I think I started with maybe only three days of food because we were going to resupply at Neil Gap, which is 30 miles in. And I figured I'd hit there on the second day, but I wanted to have three days just in case. And I had 36 pounds, which I was probably on the lighter end of people that don't know what they're doing. Getting yeah, out that on the really AT. doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I look at that now and I'm like, whoa, 36. That's crazy. But that's pro- I was probably on the lighter end of inexperienced folks going out there, but it, it felt pretty heavy. 36 pounds pretty heavy on my, on your back when you don't know what you're doing. What was the first week like on the trail? First week, it rained every single day. <laughs> so it was about 40 degrees and raining during the day and getting below freezing every night. Like I said, I'd never camped in rain before. So the first week was pretty mentally challenging. It knocked a lot of people off. So I had empty shelters, but <laughs> you know, but that's not encouraging when you're watching people drop like flies and and you're still second guessing yourself a little bit. So did you have that moment early on where you're like, well, maybe this is wrong and I go home and was that day five? I had those moments where I was wondering what I was doing, but I never really thought about going home because in the back of my mind, I was thinking about, I just quit this job. That was pretty awesome. And I told everyone I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And some people don't really tell everyone until they've been out there for a little bit. It's kind of a thing. Like you've put yourself in a situation where you just really felt obligated to do it. Yeah, I kind of wanted that to be the case. I told everyone, and so I was like, man, I don't want to have to tell all these people I quit. And also, my buddy, who was my roommate in college that I was telling you about, that kind of got me into this mess. <laughs> he was on spring break, so he did the first week with me. So it's like, I at least got to get back to his car, which was at mile 109 in Franklin, North Carolina. So I said, okay, if you want to quit, quit when you're in Franklin, but we're going to at least get there. So he, he was kind of pushing me along. So I was lucky to have him there. What kind of mileage were you starting out doing? Because I know now from what I hear, you're like a long distance day guy, but I imagine your first long distance hike, you're not doing huge mileage right out the gate. Well, your first long distance hike, you shouldn't be doing huge mileage right <laughs> off the gate. But like I said, I'm, I'm hiking with a buddy who's division one cross country runner and we both thought we were badasses because we'd go out for the weekend and, and crush what we, at the time, was big mileage. You know, we're doing 20 a day. So when we got on, on on the AT for the first week, we were trying to push 20 miles a day, which is not smart. It's not smart on the Appalachian Trail in general to start out. You know, you don't have your trail legs, and it's pretty rough terrain and with the weather and heavy pack. But, yeah, we were trying to do about 20 a day, which jacked up my right knee pretty good. And it was definitely challenging that first week. So you, you say you jacked up your knee, but was it like a true injury? Did it affect you there on or were you able to work through it and continue on? So I slipped on Blood Mountain. Which seems um, appropriate based on the name. Yeah, yeah, I was covered in ice. <laughs> I guess that, I want to say that was the start of day three 
and kind of twisted my knee up and my knee bothered me the whole trail. I never got it checked out, so I can't really say whether it was a true injury or not, but it definitely <laughs> hurt me. When we got to Franklin and my buddy was getting off trail, he was pretty exhausted and beat up. I was pretty exhausted and beat up. And I'm like, oh man, that's when it really hit me what I was doing. It was like, oh, he gets to go back to his house and I got to keep going. And I got to keep going for a long ass time. Yeah, like I'm only I, a week in. I still got, you know, over 2000 miles to go. <laughs> At least I'm in town. At least I got dominoes. But yeah, that's when it really set in because, you know, that first week too, everybody's making friends and you're hanging out in the shelters and people are giving each other trail names and you're getting with your, your group of all the beginners and they're making little trail families and I'm h- hiking with my buddy. So I'm kind of ignoring everybody, you know, so I'm a week in feeling like it's the first day of school and everybody else has got their little groups and right. are starting to get in the groove. So that was pretty challenging. So now I was like, man, I'm on my own. It's cold. My knee hurts. I still got a long way to go. What am I doing? That's when it started to set in for me. So then what happens from there? I don't want to spoil the whole story, but clearly you completed it. Yeah. From there, the way I looked at it, and it's still the way I look at long distance hiking was I started just, you really have to break it up town by town. So I was like, all right, I'm in Franklin. I got to think about the next town. It's really easy to think of the whole bigger picture and think of Katahdin and being in Maine, but I had to just really stay focused on the day by day. And for some reason, I was pretty good at that. And it and I just did it town by town. And now that I've done more than 38 miles, which was my longest trip, everything felt like a milestone. So I was like, oh, I hit 100, I hit 200. And uh, that was just a good way to look at it. And somehow I had the ability to think that way. And it was really beneficial for me. You were started out doing clearly too much mileage, but did you eventually land on that kind of mileage? Or did you start going even more? Did you slow down? Yeah, I think when my buddy got off trail, I definitely slowed down a little <laughs> bit, you know, just keep it into the high teens and then slowly built myself back up. And I, I didn't really have a huge group of people, but there was a couple of people I hiked a little bit with here and there that had similar paces and started focusing on taking some days off here and there and really listening to my body through kind of Northern Virginia, through the mid-Atlantic. I actually went pretty slow. That's where a lot of people speed up, but there's a lot of diners and restaurants. So I was caring about a day of food and hitchhiking into town every chance I could get. So that kind of gave me a lot of recovery. And then towards the end, I sped up again. It ended up taking me 137 days. It was uh, March 8th to July 23rd. So about four and a half months, including zero days, which I had 10 zeros and 10 nero. I think it averages to about 17 or 18 miles a day, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, that's factoring in days off. I think it's slightly quicker than average for the Appalachian Trail. Like what were your ups and downs? Like what were the good points? What were the bad points? What were your final takeaways once you got off the trail and you look back on it? Yeah, you know, it was definitely a lot of ups and downs, figuratively and literally. The mm-hmm. AT is, you know, a roller coaster terrain wise, but I think the hardest part for me came towards the end. A lot of people in Maine in particular were just, oh man, we're almost done. We want to stretch this out. People were talking about doing the long trail and slowing down. I was with a little group of people, it was about five of us, and everybody wanted to slow down. I ended up speeding up. I think just the duration, being out there so long, started to wear on me mentally. And I think I still struggle with that a little bit. I, th- I feel like right around the four month mark, I'm like, man, this has been fun, but I'm I'm ready to ready to be done. So I had a lot of difficulty mentally at the end. I felt pretty good physically still. You know, I was definitely beat up 
and the weather was beautiful. It was July in Maine. You couldn't ask for better temperatures and beautiful weather. We didn't get rained on too much. The flies weren't too bad, but the duration of being out there so long, I was ready to be done. I don't know if there's a specific thing that made me feel that way, but it just, I don't know. It just started wearing on me a little bit. When I finished, I was definitely ready to be done. I got one one picture up on Katahdin, and then I was basically running off that mountain to go get food in town and start the journey back home. Was the ending as anticlimactic as they always seem to be? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was pretty anticlimactic. You know, we did, we actually did our biggest day on trail the, the day before. Um, we were supposed to finish on a Friday. So going into the 100 mile wilderness, we were going to have to hike. I think the way it worked out, we were going to have to hike a little over 30 a day for three days. We are basically trying to do the 100-mile wilderness in three days, and I'd done a couple 30-plus mile days, but never consecutively. And that area is pretty flat, but the terrain is really rocky and rooted, so it kind of beats your ass. And we're like, oh, we got to do it, though, because it's going to rain the whole weekend until Tuesday or something like that. And we were worried the rangers weren't going to let us go up Katahdin, and we'd get stuck at the campground for three or four days. So we're like, oh, we got to push it and we got to finish. And the second day, so the first day we did, I think a 33 mile day. And the second day I got about 18 miles into the day. And I just, again, I was having some mental laps. I was with two other guys and I was like, oh, I just don't want to go any further today. And we found a really cool shelter. It was about two in the afternoon. And I said, I, I think I'm going to stop here. And the other two guys were like, man, if we stop here, we got to do a huge day tomorrow. I was like, yeah, we'll just do a huge day tomorrow. And, and in my brain, I was bluffing and I just wanted them like, all right, man, come on. I just needed a little, you know, I need a little pep talk right, from my buddies. Right. But they're like, all right, sounds good, backs, man. Backfired, apparently. It backfired. <laughs> they just like blew up their pads. Like, oh, I guess we'll stop here. And I was like, oh, shit, are we really going to stop here? And like, yeah, you want to, right? I'm like, yeah. So, you know, I didn't want to hike, but I needed <laughs> them to push me on. And so we ended up getting up at 4 a.m. the next day and we hiked, I think it, we hiked 44 point something miles to basically the border of Baxter State Park. You can't camp in the park except for in in special areas. So we didn't want to get any permits or campgrounds. So we camped right on the border of Baxter State Park. And then that next morning, so our finish day, it was super cloudy, no views. We were completely exhausted from just doing a stupid big day the day before and a 30-something the day before that. And we had to hike. It was either 10 or 15 to the base of Katahdin, five up and five back down. So by the time I hit that Katahdin sign, you know, I, the weeks previous, I'm like, oh, I'm going to probably cry up there. I'm going to be so excited. I'm going to cheer. And right. we got up there, no views. It was cloudy. There was a little bit of a false summit right before. Got up there, touched the sign, took one picture, and I started going back down. Like, didn't care at all. Didn't cry. It didn't even feel like it was over. It was just kind of like, okay, we hit that. Now what? And then got down, hitchhiked to town. And then I remember we were at the hostel in in Millinocket. I was throwing away some extra food I had and some stuff from my med kit. And I was like, oh, you know, in your brain, you're like, oh, maybe I need this food for the next resupply. And then it kind of kicked in like, there's not going to be another resupply. We're done. That's when it finally sinks in that it's over. Yeah. Yeah. It finally, it sunk in at that moment. I was like, oh, wow, I'm done now. And we didn't have any travel plans, so Buddy and I were on our phones looking at Amtrak and buses and like, oh, we got to get home or we got to pay another night for this hostel. So we got to figure out what we're doing. And that's kind of when it sunk in that I was done. But I think there was so much exhaustion and relief. There wasn't any crazy epiphany or it wasn't even a big sense of accomplishment at the time. It took me a while to really dissect what had just happened and, and how that would set my life on a different path. And at the time when I was hiking the whole time, I thought, okay, I'm going to go do the AT. This is my big goal. 
and then I'm going to go back to a government job or try to go to grad school. And there was no idea in my brain that this would become a thing that I kept doing or that this would lead me into a different career path or a different lifestyle. It just seemed like this little four and a half month vacation. So at that time, I was still thinking it was just kind of like a little leave of absence, even though I had quit the job and I didn't, I didn't have a lease or anything. It just felt like a temporary thing. And I was going to go back to quote unquote regular life. And then part of you also was like, see, I told you I was going to do it. I did it. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to do it. I did it. Now let's figure out what's next. But what's next didn't seem like this big shift in my life. It just felt like, all right, let me just go back to what I was doing. And I was still pretty fresh out of college. And, you know, like we had said, I turned down that big career oriented job, you know, just a couple months after graduating. So I didn't feel like I wasted any time or anything. It felt like I was just fresh out of college and I had just done this cool adventure. And now I could figure out what I was going to do the rest of my life. And then the dirty secret is that there's never a point in your life where you decide, oh, and now is when I want to give up on all the things I love and just pursue this this thing that I'm supposed to pursue. Is that kind of the realization you have that eventually? Was, yeah, that was kind of the realization pretty quickly <laughs> on, actually. You know, I started doing the numbers of how much grad school would cost, and then I started looking for other environmental government jobs and realized what a tough field that was to get into. And I was like, oh, man, I already had the foot into the door, and I kind of blew it. So, you know, what's next? And I had missed living in the mountains. At the time, I didn't think I'd ever through hike again, but I figured I'd want to do a lot of hiking. So my next immediate goal was just to move somewhere cool in the mountains and then I'll figure everything else after that. So my plan, I wanted to move to Asheville and I just said, I'll move to Asheville and I'll figure it out. So I was applying to jobs up in Asheville, but I ended up just finding a place on Craigslist and taking what little money I had left and I moved in with no real idea what I was doing. Is this when you were telling me the $300 story or is this yeah, this is another? Yeah, this is the $300 <laughs> story. So I had about $300 left. Uh, I spent about two months uh, recovering and eating a lot and burning through what little money I had left. And then, you know, you'd think maybe I I would save some of that if I was planning on moving. But I, I mean, I got so lucky with that job before my hike, I kind of figured the same thing would happen. And when I had about $300 left, I, I found a room for rent on Craigslist and the landlord's boyfriend had actually just hiked the Appalachian Trail as well. I never met him out there. I told her the truth. I told her I didn't have any money and no job. And I was like, I'm going to find a job quickly and I'll, I'll be able to to pay you rent. Just let me move in. And she was really cool about it and really supportive and, and could tell that I was being honest about it. A buddy of mine from high school was working at a pizza place and I just kind of showed up and asked for a job and uh, I was washing dishes the next day and kind of turned into a job, started making money and I was able to make my rent every month. So one of the things people talk about a lot when they finish these long trails is like the post-trail depression and then the difficulty getting reoriented and like becoming part of society again. Did you find that you struggled with either of those things? Definitely. Yeah, the post-trail depression, it, it was very real for me on finishing the Appalachian Trail. I definitely think post-trail depression is real. A big part of it for me, too, was moving to a new city, though, and not knowing anyone and, you know, working somewhere I didn't think I was going to work super long and, and struggling financially a little bit. So I think a lot of that added to it. I wouldn't attribute all my stress to post-trail depression, but it's definitely difficult to go from a situation where you have this one goal of get to the next town or just get your miles in for that day and you're working towards this bigger goal. And every day, I never knew what time it was or what day it was. I didn't, I'd always have my phone turned off. I never, I wasn't big on checking social media at the time or I I was pretty bad about calling home and telling people I was okay. (laughs) I wasn't, maybe not the best friend, you know, keeping up responding to texts, but 
I was really immersed in this goal and that was, you're very one track minded on trail and then you get off trail and there's tons of people around and there's traffic, you know, driving was weird after four and a half months of walking everywhere. And so it was really hard for me to adjust. Like I said, at the time, it wasn't like, oh, I'm kicking, kicking off this new lifestyle of hiking and traveling all the time. It was more like, oh crap, now I'm working at a pizza place and I got to try to find another government job or go to grad school and I don't have any money. And so I had a lot of stresses at the time. I was definitely... It was definitely hard to readjust for me. So then how do you shift your life from there? Do you just try to get back into that government job or do you eventually have a realization that you don't want to do that and you're going to lead a different kind of life? So I was working at the pizza place and I actually started to really enjoy it. When I first got it, I was like, oh man, I'm washing dishes and delivering pizzas. This kind of sucks. I got a college degree, you know, I had had this cool job. I just did the AT. What am I doing? But I actually started to enjoy it and wasn't the worst money in the world. So I was, I was pretty happy with it. So I pretty quickly stopped looking for other jobs. I didn't even apply to other jobs. And I kind of gave up on the idea of grad school. I didn't want to take out the student loans. And I kind of wasn't sure if I wanted to do that. The way I looked at it, I would just keep working at the pizza place and start saving up some money. And then I would figure it out. So I kind of looked at that job as an extension of my through hike in the sense that I could hike on the weekends. I had the weekends off, which was pretty cool. And I was off every day at four. So I would just hike and trail run and get out in the woods. I'm living in Asheville. I got all these amazing trails around. So I'm having trouble readjusting to society. I might as well, second I get off work, just go hide in the woods. And that's what I did for a while. So I I looked at it as an extension of that through hike. That's when the wheel started turning like, man, maybe I don't have to go back to a government job or try to have this career or get more education. I mean, I knew I didn't want to be at a pizza place forever, but I was having a pretty good time and I was making friends with the guys working there and it wasn't a bad situation. I, and I worked there for a year and a half the first time around and about halfway through that, I, I started thinking, man, maybe I'll go do another trail. And I started saving up. My original plan was to do the Pacific Crest Trail next. It just seemed like the logical progression. And I was saving pretty good money. I mean, my plans were to do that in 2017. And in mid-2016, my car started having trouble and they said I need a new transmission and all this stuff. So I ended up scrapping my car, went and bought a pretty nice car with monthly payments. And that kind of killed my hiking plans. The reality of bills and life and unexpected expenses. When you have a tight budget for a through hike, I had just enough money saved to go through hike and now I'm spending it on car stuff. And I ended up having to move because my landlord moved and all the people renting rooms had to find a new place and I couldn't find a place as cheap. So I just started slowly losing my hiking budget on life. And I started again thinking, oh, maybe the AT was a one and done kind of thing and I might not be able to through hike for a while. And so then I'm in even a more weird mental state because I'm like, oh, I can't through hike and I don't want to go back to school and try to find another career job. So I didn't really know what I was doing. Did you find yourself second guessing sometimes too and thinking, well, maybe I should have taken that job or did you really feel like, no, it was the right decision and I'm going to hold to that? You know, I was really happy with the area I was living. And I think having access to all the trails and being able to hike, that really gave me a lot of clarity and made me that made me really happy. And that kind of counterbalanced all the stresses and the second guessing. So I felt like that I had made it to that place. If I'd stuck around that original job, I wouldn't be living in Asheville. I wouldn't have made all these friends. And it was really sinking in how much I enjoyed the Appalachian Trail and how, how that made me feel really accomplished. So I was really happy with the sacrifices I made. I was still, you know, struggling with figuring out what was next, but I, I was sticking to my guns that I had made the right choice. So how do you end up getting on the next trail? While working at 
the pizza place, you know, I'm still, I started checking job boards and I would every once in a while look on Craigslist or something and try to find, you know, just see what was out there. You're, I, I was always looking to see if there was a cool opportunity. And one day I was on monster.com and <laughs> <laughs> I saw a posting and it, it said Eagle's Nest Outfitters. And I was like, Eagle's Nest Outfitters. That sounds familiar. Is that like a gear store in town? What the hell? Why do I know that name? And then I clicked the link and it went to the Eno website. And I was like, oh, Eno Hammocks. Until this exact moment, I never knew that Eno was an acronym. Yeah, it's an acronym. And I, <laughs> man, I had one for 10 years prior to that. And I never read the label close enough. So I didn't even know what it was. And I was like, Eagles, oh shit, they're in Asheville. I, you know, I had walked past their office. The, the old office and warehouse was downtown Asheville, right next to all the breweries. And I'd walked past it a million times, never paid attention that it was right there. And the job was for a customer service job. And I was like, man, I, I hate offices. Customer service sounds pretty brutal, but it's an outdoor company. I love their hammocks. Maybe this is my foot in the door into a different industry. So I went and I interviewed. The people interviewing me were like, oh, you just did the AT, so you want to do like another trail? And I'm like, yeah, I want to do the PCT someday. And they're like, well, hey, man, you're going to get two weeks vacation, so I don't think that's going to be possible. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And they're like, you also don't seem like you'd like to be in an office. I'm like well, I've had office jobs. And I was like, <laughs> halfway through the interview, I'm like, oh man, I, I screwed this up, you know, but I thought I did good, you know, and I ended up a week later hearing from like, hey man, you know, one of our warehouse guys applied and we like to hire from within and we thought you were pretty cool, but I don't think it was the right fit, but stay in touch. And I was like, shit, <laughs> I just ruined my chance. I should have, I shouldn't have been so honest about wanting to travel and hike more and I was pretty devastated I mean I was like man I didn't get the job so I was still working at the pizza place and then I ended up getting a job I would deliver to this key card company all the time they'd be like hey man do you have a degree and I was like yeah I got a degree and like are you trying to find another job and I guess maybe and so <laughs> they're like you should apply here and so I ended up applying there and I ended up being a sales assistant at this big key card company and back into an office situation. It was decent money, but I kind of hated going to work every day. And Eno ended up switching offices and warehouses and moving into the building right next to the key card company. So now oh, every it's day- like kismet. It was, man. Every day I'm driving to work at this job I hate and I'm passing by the place that I just about got a job at. And it was like rubbing salt in the wound, seeing that and be like, man, I want to work there. For whatever reason, I just kept checking their website for openings. I was like, I think they liked me and I just maybe, <laughs> maybe I could try again or tell them I don't want to hike. I don't know. <laughs> I saw a job and it said Road Warrior Sales Rep. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but that sounds pretty rad. And I emailed the guy that had told me to keep in touch. And my subject line, I wrote, keeping in touch. <laughs> and I said, hey, man, I saw this road warrior job. That sounds pretty cool. Maybe you can pass my resume along to the head of marketing who was hiring. And I got a call the next day. The head of marketing was like, hey, man, I, I want to talk to you. So I ended up going and, and talking to them about the position. And it sounded right up my alley. And they were like, yeah, this this is why we didn't hire you for the other job. This one's right up your alley. Yeah, like there's no office you have to hang out in every day now. Exactly. No <laughs> office. They're like, do you have a lease? And I was like, it ends next month. And they're like, do you have a girlfriend? And I was like, that ends next month. That ended a few weeks ago. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, but so you can start soon. I was like, I can start right now. And I was like, I'd like to give my other job two weeks notice, but you know, I can start whenever. So I, I ended up starting the next week 
I got the job and basically the job was I was living in a sprinter van and traveling all over the country from event to event. We did a lot of music festivals and street festivals and trail races, different type events, but uh, gave me the opportunity to travel and make some connections in the outdoor industry and get to sell a product that I thought was really cool. And the best part about it was I was only working 10 to 15 days, some months, and then you have all the time in the world and you're in all these rad places. So I got to keep hiking. So it was a really cool experience. So then I was like, oh, it all does happen for a reason. You know, I'd been so devastated about not getting that previous job. But what I didn't realize is when they were interviewing me, they were thinking like, oh, when that other job opens, we got to hire this guy. And then also you kind of have to go off and do a thing you hate so you can really appreciate when that ends and you get something better. Exactly. And talking about like second guessing that original choice to quit that government office job, you know, going back to another office after the pizza place, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to be in an office. It's just not for me. So you don't stay at Eno forever. And AT is not the only long distance trail you've done. So clearly this happy story has to have an ending. Sure. So yeah, you know, when I got hired, they said people like to do this for a year or two. We've had one guy do it seven years and another guy did it five years, but generally people do it for a year or two. So it's kind of always known it would be a temporary position. You know, like I said, we're full time on the road. I ended up doing it for two years. I drove 85,000 miles and went virtually everywhere but Alaska and Hawaii. So it's a really sweet gig, but it's not forever. And I think the longest I spent in one place while working and on the road was 11 days for an 11 day music festival. (laughs) So (laughs) when I got hired, I kind of thought, okay, I'll do it for a year, maybe two, and then I'm going to go through hike again. So that initial conversation where I accepted the job, I told them basically, I'm going to do this for a year or two, probably two years, and then I'm going to go hike again. And about a year into the job, I ended up having a period where I had... I think it was 12 days off there was an event that got canceled and this was the end of march of 2018 so i started thinking man i want to go do so like you know i'd been doing little 50 miles or less hikes between events but i thought i'll do something a little bit longer so my original plan was to do springer up into the smokies do about 200 a little over 200 miles of the appalachian trail again but then i thought this is the midst of through hiker season and i don't want to be fighting past giant groups of northbounders and the weather was super nice so i knew there'd be a ton of people out there so i started thinking of alternatives and i ended up hiking the benton mckay trail Uh, which is 287 miles from Springer Mountain into the Smokies, but along a different route. Shares a little bit of the Appalachian Trail, but only a couple miles here and there. That was my second thru-hike, a shorter thru-hike, but still a really cool experience. I was able to do that while still employed with Eno. After that, it made me really want to get out and do something even longer. You know, I thought, oh, 287 miles, I'll, I'll be stoked after that and I'll be able to go back to work. But what happened is when I finished that trail... I just wanted to keep going. Right, it just wet your appetite. Just wet my appetite. And what was really cool about that trail is it's it's pretty remote. At the time, there wasn't a gut hook for it. I just had a crappy little pocket book, pocket maps, and I didn't see a single person until 194 miles in. And I only saw a handful of people in the Smokies, and I, I'd never hiked like that. On the Appalachian Trail, I was seeing people pretty much every night. And even though I kind of like to hike by and camp by myself, I'd still talk to people every day. So getting out on the BMT was a really unique and new experience for me where I kind of had to do a little bit of figuring out where I was. It wasn't well marked. Now it's got a gut hook. Now it's the, the BMTA has done a great job of putting up some signage and blazing in the last year and a half or so. But at the time, it was a pre, it was pretty difficult at times to figure out where I was. And it was a lot of me hiking by myself. And again, I had a lot of good temperatures, but it rained a lot. So it was pretty mentally challenging, but 
I really enjoyed it. And so this whole time I'm with, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna go do the PCT. And then after the BMT, I was like, man, I kind of like that remote experience. And I kind of liked not always following a well-marked trail. So my brain started switching gears and I started thinking about doing the Continental Divide Trail instead of the PCT. Did you find that you missed that social aspect at all? Or did you really dig not having that? I really Doug, not having the social aspect. I don't know. You know, when I was working that job, when I had time off, like I said, I'm hanging out with some friends around the country or I'm hiking. But when you're working, it's some of these events are 40,000 plus people and you're working 12 plus hour days. So you're just constantly talking to people and answering the same questions over and over. And it was a bit overwhelming at times. So I think the solitude and being by myself, I I really enjoyed it. So I kind of wanted that. And on the AT, like I said, I saw people every day, but I really only hiked with two other people. There's one guy, my buddy, Silent Bob, who ended up, you know, I'll come back to this, but ended up hiking a bunch on the CDT with, uh, we did about 500 miles together on the AT. And then my other buddy dizzy i did about 1200 miles with but besides them there's only a handful of people i really hiked with like i said in 2015 it was kind of the last year walk in the woods movie was coming out and wild had just come out so the trail i think had about 2000 people attempted that year now you're getting numbers over 4000 so it was still a pretty i started early and i moved quick and I finished kind of early. So I had a, I still had a pretty remote and not super social AT through hike, even though that's pretty difficult to do now. You've got two years in it, you know, does that mean it's CDT time? October of 2018. I started March, 2017. So October, 2018, I was really lucky to get to go to OR in 2017 and 2018. And in 2018, I was sitting with our head of marketing and she was like, Hey man, so you're going to you going to go through hike next year? You've been talking about it. Haven't heard anything yet. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to do the CDT. And basically that was my real casual way of putting in my notice. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of pressured me into it. I still was a little noncommittal. I was like, man, I kind of love this job. And CDT is a big commitment, but they all kept asking me about it. And I was like, yeah, okay, now I got to do it. And so I put in my notice then and ended up working until January of 2019. But that October, after they pressured me a little bit, <laughs> I, I put in my notice and decided that that I was officially going to do the CDT. I know people are more familiar with PCT and AT, and some people know the CDT, but let's tell them a little bit about that. It's Continental Divide Trail. Let's tell them about the length and, and all the particulars, because though I know for you, it's a different experience. A lot of people consider that the big hard one out of the three. Yeah. The, so the CDT, it, it runs from Mexico to Canada or Canada to Mexico, depending on which direction you go. Similar to the PCT, but it stays on or very close to the Continental Divide through the Rockies. And so it starts on basically the New Mexico boot heel. I I started as a northbounder. So you start on the boot heel of New Mexico, about 85 miles south of Lordsburg is the the closest town. And it goes through New Mexico and into the Colorado, through the San Juans, and then up into Wyoming through the Great Divide Basin and the Wind River Range. And then you go through Yellowstone National Park and then up into Montana. And then it finishes in Glacier National Park on the Canadian border. And what's interesting about the CDT, unlike the AT and PCT, it's not complete. So the CDTC, the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, the last time I saw the figure, they have it about 70% where they want it to be. And a lot of people kind of misunderstand that to be, it's oh, it's only 70% done. And there's 30% where you're just wandering through the wilderness. And that's not really the case. It's <laughs> <laughs> that other 30% is it's on trails where they don't want it to be there or it's on forest roads or it's on a paved highway road walk and they're looking for other places to put it. And there are plenty of p- places on the CDT where you are kind of just wandering through the wilderness, but it's not 30% of it. And what's really cool about the CDT is there's a lot of different official alternates and unofficial alternates. 
And the quote they like to say is, it's a, it's a choose your own adventure trail. Whereas the AT and the PCT, you're kind of just following this one set footpath and you can stay on it the whole way. The CDT, you really, you make decisions in certain places where, oh, do I want to go through the Gila River in New Mexico and go through this awesome canyon with, you know, Native American cliff dwellings? Or do I want to take the official route instead and go through you know, this kind of big looping area through the desert. So it gives you a lot of different options and alternatives. It's really cool. And so the distance, it can be as short, I've heard people say about as short as 2,600 miles or so, about the length of the PCT. Or if you were to do every step of the official route, it's it's closer to 3,100 miles. I'd say most people's trail ends up being somewhere in the middle. And I don't have the exact number, but I think mine was probably around 2,800 miles. And I'd say that's pretty standard. Um, even people that pick different routes than me, it tends to end up around 2,800 miles. And so what was this experience like versus your experience on the AT? Now you're more prepared. Now you have these other trails behind you. Sure. It's an extremely different experience. Uh, and the year I picked in particular, the winter of 2018 and into 2019 was one of the highest snow years on record through that area. And I had it set in my brain, like I'm going northbound and I want to do all the trails northbound. And the CDT is traditionally a southbound trail, unlike the AT and PCT, which are more people tend to do it northbound. The CDT, a lot of people find southbound to be better for the weather window and for the snow. But I chose to go northbound and I started a little earlier than I probably should have. I started April 22nd, but in my brain, the previous year had been a low snow year but a really hot year in the desert. And I had had some buddies and followed some people on social media that struggled a lot with the heat in New Mexico and had to take a bunch of days off and do shorter mileage. So in my brain, I'm like, I'm going to get heat exhaustion. I'm probably going to have to spend a day in Lordsburg vomiting and drinking water because I'm dehydrated. And I like was preparing myself for the worst starting a little earlier. But unlike the AT where I went out there without trail legs, I'd been hiking so much with the Eno gig, I was in pretty good shape. And I just kind of started crushing right off the get go. And we had long days and the high temperatures were only in the high 70s and into the low 80s, which is definitely hot for hiking, but it wasn't 100 degrees like friends the previous year had experienced. I was hiking with a guy named Salty and we ended up basically averaging 25 plus a day from the get-go, not taking any days off. We were moving pretty quick through New Mexico, so I was a little bit ahead of schedule. I think when I started, we looked at the snow report and it was 197% above average in Colorado. And I thought, okay, that's that's kind of gnarly, but you know, but I got a month, it'll start to melt and we can deal with a little heavy snow. The whole time we were hiking through New Mexico, we kept checking it and it just kept going up and up and kept getting snowstorms. And we're like, all right, when is this going to stop? And we were having good weather in New Mexico, but Colorado was still getting hammered. Started getting into northern New Mexico. We started getting hit with snow and colder temperatures. And by the time we hit the Colorado border, it was pretty crazy snow. We had dealt with a bunch of really rough days in northern New Mexico. And I think it was just under 500% above average snow. And we hit the border on May 21st. So we had taken us about a month to get there. And they always say kind of the figure that people say with the CDT is you don't want to be in Chama, which is the last town in New Mexico. It's the first town you hit, you go into Colorado and you hitch back into New Mexico. They say don't be there before June 7th. And that's on an average snow year. And we're at 500% above average and we're there on May 21st. So kind of got there a little bit too quick and mother nature was taking her sweet time melting the snow and kept dumping it on us so it was a it was a pretty bad year to go northbound so we had to make a couple decisions so we ended up taking a few days off and we spent a couple days in Chama and then we ended up getting a ride up to Pagosa Springs Colorado and I got two days in the hotel and packed up my stuff on the last day and 
I was thinking, all right, we're going to push on forward. And like I said, there's a lot of different routes that you can choose. So in Colorado, they have a bunch of lower routes in case it's a high snow year. You get there too early that cut off the San Juan Mountains. And basically the only option we had at that point was to do a combination of highway roadwalks and forest roadwalks. That would be about 150 miles and it would cut off all of the San Juan Mountains, which is a pretty iconic part of the CDT and something I really wanted to do, but I wasn't prepared to go through that. I didn't have the experience. We had the gear, we had snowshoes, micro spikes, ice axe, but it was just still a little bit too dangerous. And most people that continued northbound were taking the low routes and still dealing with storms and heavy snow, even on the low routes. I was prepared to do that. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I was holding my breath and wanting to go for that. And then my hiking partner, he made the decision that he wanted to do a flip-flop and which is where you head up to the Northern terminus and then start hiking South. Um, so we'd take a couple weeks off and then do that. I trusted his judgment and that way we'd still be able to do the parts of, Col- or hopefully still be able to do the parts of Colorado that were really iconic and not have to push through this crazy snow on the low routes. So kind of suddenly and without too much debate, we decided to get off trail there. So I got a quick flight uh, out of Durango, got a ride to Durango and flew back home to North Carolina. I was back home less than 12 hours after strapping up and ready to keep pushing north. And then now I'm back home and it, I think it was 95 degrees when I landed in Raleigh and so I'm escaping snow and now it's hot I'm like what the hell is going on all my friends are like dude did you quit or why are you here (laughs) you know $500 short notice flight kind of cut into my budget and staying in hotels for five days prior to that I wasn't really sure if I'd be able to go back out and I don't know it was really confusing I thought I wasn't sure if my hike was over and up in Montana they were still getting hit with heavy snow and normally they open glacier on Uh, June 15th. That's kind of the earliest southbounders start. So like, okay, that's a couple weeks, but they kept pushing that date back and they were thinking it might not be open till July. So there was a lot up in the air. So I decided, oh, I'm going to do a little section hike on the Appalachian Trail. I'm going to keep my legs going. So a friend of mine and I, we planned on doing about 170 mile section hike. And in my brain, I'm thinking, all right, I just did 800 miles of the CDT. I'm kind of a badass. I can push 30 mile days. And, but the AT, (laughs) you know, as we talked about, the AT is a different animal terrain wise. And day one, I I tweaked my left knee, not the same knee from the AT, my other knee now, and having some pain in my tendons. And I I couldn't walk, really, and hobbled into hot springs and hitchhiked back home (laughs) about 30 miles away. And at that moment, I was like, oh, man, my hike's over. I can't do the CDT. My knee's jacked up. I'm, I'm right on the line financially. If I have to fly up to Montana, I don't know if I can finish this hike and really got in my head and every day that passed, my knee wasn't getting better. And so I basically at that moment, I quit and I decided I wasn't going back out there. I was like, well, I still got a little bit of money. I've never really done any international travel. So I went to go get my passport, started looking up, going to Asia. And then I realized, oh man, it's monsoon season. It's the worst time to go to Asia. (laughs) I'm like, shit, what do I do? And I told all my friends, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not doing this. And everyone's like, oh, you did good, man. You got 800 miles. You you know, you did the AT. You're still a badass. And my one buddy, my buddy Lee Trebitich, who's also been a guest on this podcast, he was like, man, you got to go back out there. And I was like, what? That's not what I wanted you to say. I wanted you to say, good job, man. And he's like, I got a knee brace for you, dude. You're good. And I was like, oh, fuck. Now I got to go. He's right. 
that's all he had to say. And I, I guess maybe me telling everyone I quit was waiting for one of my friends to tell me that. And luckily I had one. <laughs> oh, so it was kind of like the other time it backfired. And this time it only backfired on you a few times until somebody told you what you hoped you would hear. All that's along. all I needed. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't, I couldn't tell myself that enough to really push me to get back out there. And then my buddy Salty's texting me like, dude, I'm ready to get back out there. And he had told me like, oh, I'm not hiking until July. So when I was back in Asheville, my, my boss said, you know, it's like, hey, you know, we need some help at these two music festivals. I see you're back. Like, you want to come <laughs> give us a hand? And I was like, oh, right on. I could use some money. I love music festivals. So I agreed and I ended up working uh, Firefly and Electric Forest this year, and which was a blast and got to help out some of the new people and hang out with some old buddies and make a little bit of money, uh, which was exactly what I needed financially to get back out there. So now I'm like, all right, I'm financially good to get back out there. I got my friend telling me exactly what I needed to hear. I still can barely walk, but I'll figure that that's, you know, the least of my worries. I only got 2000 miles left. And my buddy Salty ended up getting back out there a little sooner. So we didn't get to hike together, but ended up working those two festivals. And I caught an Amtrak from Michigan to East Glacier and hop back on trail 4th of July and started heading southbound. One big complaint through hikers have is Glacier National Park. It's really hard to get walk-in permits and they don't give you a lot of mileage. You have to stay in established campsites if you do it online, they don't let you pick campsites more than 15 miles apart. But every through hikers like, man, I'm doing 25, 30 a day. I, w- I want a campsite 30 miles apart. So I showed up at the ranger station and I was kind of the opposite. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm totally down to get those 15 miles apart campsites because <laughs> I can barely walk right now. And in my brain, I still didn't think I was going to finish the hike. I thought I, my knee was too jacked up and I figured, but I've never been to Glacier and I was so stoked to go to Glacier. So let me just hobble my way through Glacier and then I'll I'll quit when I finish Glacier. And the way the permits worked out, I actually had to go northbound through the park. So I was like, all right, I'll just get through the park and then I'll hitch back to East Glacier and then I'll figure out how I'm going to get home. And kind of miraculously, I don't know what it was, maybe just my mindset. I mean, I was having trouble with my knee and it was tough to, to punch out those 15 miles every day, but it wasn't that extreme pain that I felt weeks prior on the AT and I started building my confidence that I might be able to continue and ended up getting back to East Glacier and and deciding to just go give it a go and I I started looking at it same same mindset I had on the AT just look at it one town at a time and you know if you can you can at least hobble through four days four or five days and you'll get to the next town and you can quit and then every town I got to I started feeling better and better and kind of building up that confidence and and really loving the trail and you know just kept going the knee pain subsided enough that I started to feel confident about 300 miles into the southbound portion of my hike that I thought I could do the whole rest of the thing and I just kept going. By starting 4th of July, I was kind of a little bit later than a lot of the southbounders and a lot of the flip-floppers. A lot of northbounders ended up flipping to head south and the few people I was seeing, I, I was on a little bit of a quicker pace so I ended up hiking that first thousand miles by myself which was a very challenging because it was grizzly country and that was my biggest fear on the cdt was grizzly country you know big snow is terrifying and the waterless stretches in new mexico are pretty tough but i'd never seen a grizzly bear before and that was my biggest fear so i i did that thousand miles by myself i saw four grizzlies all the encounters were pretty chill they weren't that scary i kind of <laughs> built my confidence a little bit you know that's what everybody always asked did you see a bear but yeah i saw a couple they were cool i was definitely on my high fives like, glad yeah, you gave me high on the fives trail. yeah exactly <laughs> and then i got to lima montana and i was sitting at this little hotel and i saw a bunch of discarded resupply boxes and one of them had my buddy's name on it my buddy from the at who i hadn't talked to in four years I was like, oh shit, that's Silent Bob. And I didn't have his phone number. I'd gotten a new phone and he didn't have an Instagram or anything set up at the time. 
And then he texted me and I knew it was him by the area code. And he's like, dude, are you on the CDT? I was like, yeah, man, where are you? And we started coordinating and talking the next couple of days. And when I got to Island Park right before Yellowstone, he was like, oh, I'm in Bozeman right now, but I'm coming back to Island Park tomorrow. Are you close? I'm like, dude, I'm here. So we ended up meeting up uh, right on the border of Wyoming, Montana, border of Yellowstone, started hiking together again. So I was like, oh, sweet. Did all this solo hiking through grizzly country. It was terrifying. And now I'm like hiking with an old buddy and one of the, one of the few people that I've put some serious mileage in, uh, mileage in with. So we started hiking south and, uh, and with our other buddy Hatchet, um, who he had done some miles on the PCT with in, in 2016, and hiked through Yellowstone and, and through Wyoming. And, and Bob and I ended up, he ended up hiking all the way back to where I flipped. And we did the whole rest of my CDT hike together. And then he was a southbounder, so he continued on from there. But it was really cool to kind of run into an old buddy and... And, and get to have a hiking partner again. So you've mentioned a couple of people's trail names, but you haven't told us your trail names. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, so my trail name's P. Diddy, like the rapper. <laughs> Who, by the way, is changing his name yet again. Changes his name yet again. And, I, <laughs> and you know, I even contemplated that before the trail. I was like, all right, I was P. P. Diddy on the AT. Maybe I'll be Puff Daddy out here. <laughs> or one of his new names. I wanted to stick with one. So I'm still waiting for that cease and desist from P. Diddy. I'm sure it's coming. Uh, he's he's uh, Sean Love Combs now. Okay, so, so we're good. It. I got the old name. I'm okay with that. <laughs> How do you get the name P. Diddy? Yeah, so, you know. Just because I, of all your, your great raps on trail? Well, they say we look alike, but I don't know. I don't <laughs> see it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I wasn't big on trail names, and I kind of thought they were stupid. And I was like, I don't want a trail name. And people were throwing out all kinds of crazy names on the AT. And I was like, I don't want a trail name. And these two guys I was hiking with in North Carolina were trying to give me a trail name. And we were at the NOC, uh, my buddy Dizzy and Goose. And I didn't know what they were doing at all. I didn't know any of this. I wasn't privy to these conversations, but they were trying to come up with a name and they were thinking of famous people named Sean, because that's my real name. And I guess they settled on P. Diddy and they were crossing out my name in all the logs and writing P. Diddy after it. <laughs> and I ended up getting separated from them. I didn't see them until Shenandoah. 800 miles into the trail and then people were calling me P. Diddy. I was like, what are you talking? That's not my name. And <laughs> they're like, are you P. Diddy? I'm like, no, I'm Sean. And they're like, oh, okay. Then, you know, Dizzy said this or whatever. And then I started hiking with them again and they were crossing it out right in front of me. And I was like, oh, okay. I see what's going on. And I, it kind of got forced on me and then I liked it. <laughs> so now I go by it. People, I still tell people, they go, what's your trail name? I go, oh, it's P. Diddy, but just call me Sean. And if you tell people not to call you your trail name, they call you your trail name. So I've <laughs> learned to stop doing that, but now it's stuck on. It's stuck on me. It's on my certificate for the AT, and it's on the BMT website, and it's it's in the magazine. So now I'm like, oh, God, all right, I'm P. Diddy. <laughs> So it's not that crazy of a story. It's really not that cool. And, uh, but that, that, I, that's, I think it's pretty rad that you didn't even know it was your name. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> that part's pretty great. I guess it's ironic that I was like, trail names are stupid and people get them for the dumbest reasons. And then I got a kind of stupid one for a dumb reason. So now I stick with it. Yeah. And then you loved it. I love it. Yeah. I don't, you know, I've never met another P. Diddy on trail. You meet a lot of striders and you know, sunshines and stuff like that, but I've never met another P. Diddy. I actually met a guy in the CDT though. He's like, how did you get that name? And I told him the story and he goes, people at work call me P. Diddy. I was like, but what's your trail name? And his trail name was Lost Camera. And I was like, okay, that's weird. What is going, now you got to explain some things. And his initials were PDD. And he's like, they call me P. Diddy. I was like, man, we should trade. You should be P. Diddy and I should be Lost Camera. And then when people ask me, I'll have to tell them the story of how you got it. And it'll be even weirder. But we, you know, we ended up each keeping our names. And so that was the one person that probably should be P. Diddy, but he's not. 
So I still haven't met another P. Diddy. I don't know if there's any out there. People can write in and let us know of the copious numbers of P. Diddy's on the trail. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you finish CDT at this point? I finished September 25th. And about a, as of right now, we were recording this on October 26th. So about a month ago. So I finished back at the just north of the New Mexico-Colorado border. And then you decided it's time to go back into the political world. You went and bought a suit. Yep. Wait, no, that's not what you're doing at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm currently getting my master's in political science. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, from, I, from what I've gathered, you're eating a lot of food. Eating a lot of food. And playing Goldeneye every day. Yeah. So, well, the other thing is I, you know, I was a big, very outspoken about my, my gear choices and some of my choices on trail. And I'm a big proponent uh, outside of the trail and on the trail of probiotics and, you know, healthy lifestyle. And the whole time I was like, you know, I'm going to pick good water sources. I'm, I don't filter and I think filters are nonsense and this and that. And uh, I was carrying bleach for a little bit, but never using it. And I ended up doing basically the whole CDT without filtering. And my last week on trail, my bleach, my little bleach visine bottle was leaking. And I was like, man, I'm good. It's all snow melt. We're in Colorado. It's beautiful. And I threw it away. And then we went through a stretch of all just cow fields and terrible water sources and ended up getting Jardia. Yeah. Let this be a lesson to everyone <laughs> who doesn't want to pump or filter or treat their water in any way. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, I do have a filter again, even after thousands <laughs> of miles of not filtering the experience of uh, Jardia with no health insurance is pretty shitty, no pun intended. So I spent the first two weeks coming back, uh, still dealing with that and not necessarily recovering. So it's really been the last two weeks that I've I've finally gotten a lot of sleep and a lot of food and kind of getting back into the swing of things. So what's the future looking like? Is it another two to three year job so that you can hike some other long trail? The the obvious choice is PCT. Yeah, well, I don't think it's going to be two or three years. Luckily, I, I was a little smarter financially this time around. I have a little more than $300 to my name. and <laughs> 350 <laughs> Yeah, 375 actually. But I, I had a lot of unexpected expenses, but I still spent significantly less than I thought it would. Everyone had told me, oh, see, DT is way more expensive. And, and just to answer a question a lot of people have, you know, on the AT, it cost me a little over $3,000 to through hike. And people are always curious. You look it up, no one tells you good numbers. So here you go, folks. It was about $3,000 on the AT. And that was, I honestly felt like I wasn't being frugal, but I guess that's towards the lower end. On the CDT, people had told me it's going to be seven, dollars $8,000. And so I saved quite a bit. Um, I also had, as I alluded to earlier, car payments and other bills for this trail that I didn't have on the AT. So I saved a lot of extra money. Money, and I ended up spending significantly less, I think, including all the flights and travel. The CDT was maybe $5,000 for me. So for anyone out there planning a hike, probably want to have 7000 I have 7000 ready to go or something around that. But it can be done for a lot cheaper, um, especially if you move quicker and the CDT, you don't have as much of a social aspect and there's not as many hostels or places to hang out in town. So you can do it relatively cheap, you know, compared to what you're probably hearing. I had a little left in my CDT budget and kind of thinking of putting that towards another trail. So right now I'm letting my body recover and, you know, I'll be working in some outdoor retail and doing some more industry stuff. In the meantime, I'm working some events with some buddies and kind of eyeing what the next trail is. And for most people, they do the AT, then the PCT, then the CDT. I kind of jumped right into the CDT and everyone's like, all right, now it's the PCT. You're going to finish your triple. But I don't know. I don't have a crazy pull to do it. I've done some sections. It's a beautiful trail. I, I love the area, but it's a bit crowded for my liking. And I kind of feel like each of my trails... I want to 
take a step up in difficulty and challenges. And I, you know, I really enjoyed New Mexico. Everyone hates New Mexico. I loved it and I love the desert. So I'm kind of eyeing some different desert trails. Um, the Oregon Desert Trail is something I'm very interested in, which is only 30 miles of trails and about 770 miles of routes. <laughs> so I'd like to do something that's more off trail and requires some different skill sets, a little bit of what I developed on the CDT, but challenging myself some more. And the Oregon Desert Trail is something that y'all should check out. It's really cool. And I think only 20 people have through hiked it. So it'd be a really cool, unique experience. That's definitely on my list. There's a bunch of really cool routes in the Southwest. Some of the Brett Tucker routes, the Grand Enchantment Trail kind of intrigues me. And then of course, this one's more established and has a lot of infrastructure, but the Arizona Trail is another one. So I'm kind of in a desert hiking mindset. And I, I think I'll pick one of those three to do next and not sure if that's going to play out next year, but definitely within the next year or two, I'll be back on another long trail. And in the meantime, I'll be doing a lot of hiking around the Asheville area. And so do you think your plan from here on forward is just figure out how to keep doing trails and then work in the outdoor industry in between? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's it's funny when I did the AT, I was like, oh, I have just enough money and I don't care if I spend it all and then I'll figure it out. And then for the CDT, I was like, okay, cool. I've worked in the industry a little bit and I've saved a little extra and I'm going to go back home and not instantly have to find a job and a place to live, which I kind of did anyways. But, <laughs> you know, if I'm doing a shorter desert trail, it, it won't be as big of a transition if you're only on trail for a month. It's a little bit easier to swing while still keeping jobs and things like that, especially in the outdoor industry. But even if the if I were to do something like the PCT next, I guess my mindset is to save even more money and be a little more secure. And if that takes me a few years, that's fine. And yeah, I, my plan is to stay in the outdoor industry for the rest of my life and make a career in the outdoor industry. But that being said, I do jobs and, and work for companies and with people that give me those opportunities to go hike and, and continue to do it. It's definitely something I want to keep doing for the rest of my life. A lot of the stuff I'm interested in is more month-long hikes and hikes under a thousand miles. I think that's kind of the sweet spot. You know, like I said, with the AT and what I didn't mention, but I kind of started to feel again on the CDT is just that being out there. CDT was just under four months for me. Just being out there that long starts to wear on me. <laughs> it's fun, but you know, it beats me up. When you're going a little quicker and you're dealing with all the nasty weather, it definitely wears you out a bit. So I think I'd like to do some hikes that are a little bit shorter and something that I can still have a place to live and have a job to come back to and somehow weasel my way into getting a month off. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out right now. So this is the question that the answer very well may be, I don't know, but what do you think it is about long distance and through hiking specifically that draws you to it? Like, why not just be happy doing day hikes? Why do you want to do these long ones? Yeah, you know, I think for for me long distance hiking, it really simplifies life. A lot of people think it's really complicated. When I talk to people that don't do it or haven't through hiked, you know, maybe they day hike or do backpacking trips and they think about, oh, that time I did a week long backpacking trip and I had to do all this planning and this and that. But with a through hike, at least in the way that I do it, I never do mail drops. I never... I don't put a lot of thought into these hikes until I'm out there. You know, I might say, oh, I want to do the CDT. I felt that way for years, but I never really planned it. And I, I honestly didn't even look at any of the alternates until I was out there. So before people are like, oh, are you going to do the Gila River or this alternate? I'm like, what is that again? And I, you know, I'm like looking at gut hook at a, at an alternate intersection, like, oh, this seems kind of cool. And that's kind of the way that I like to through hike. We all do it in a different way. I love just the freedom of kind of deciding on the go. And that's why I really like the choose your own adventure style of the CDT. And that's why I want to do more routes and lesser known trails that aren't really established. So to me, it's the pure freedom of just kind of figuring out what I'm going to do day by day and thinking, oh man, I got to hitch 20 miles down a forest road to go to a town of 97 people and resupply for five days at a gas station. That scares a lot of people, but that gets me pretty stoked. <laughs> so I love the freedom of that. And it just, it's very simple. You have, you wake up, 
You have to get your miles in for the day because that's you only have enough food for a certain amount of miles. You just establish these mini goals that lead to this big accomplishment. And to me, that's the most freeing and simple way to live. And you're waking up with the sunrise and going to bed with the sunset. And it just feels really primal and natural to me. Whereas in regular life, even working in the outdoor industry and, and living a pretty simple life outside of trail life, there's still a lot of complications and tough decisions and it's not really stressful, but it's definitely not as fun as being on trail. Yeah. There are a lot of unnecessary complications and then just kind of distractions, like a lot of just unnecessary distractions. Yeah, exactly. I think you bring that simplicity of trail life into regular life. I've definitely a much calmer person. I drive a lot slower and nothing really stresses the regular life occurrences don't really stress me out. I don't really, I don't, there's a lot of stuff that used to drive me crazy that I could just care less about. Even so, it's just like having to even pick to react in that way is still more complicated than just not dealing with those at all. Being on trail to me, it's just wonderful. And I love, I mean, those rough days where you're dealing with the snow and you're seeing grizzly bears and it's scary and things like that. Even the worst day on trail is better than a day in the office, like people like to say. And I really, truly believe that. And it's just so great. And the friendships I've made on trail just are the best. And you even, you know, like my buddy Silent Bob, who just, by the way, finished his Triple Crown on a shout out to Silent Bob. Uh, <laughs> had not seen him for four years and then we're hiking together and it's like we're instant best friends again. The people you see on trail, they're like your best friends forever, you know, and you might not talk to them regularly, but those connections, you can be yourself truly. And I try to be like that in regular life, but on trail, nobody cares. We're all the same out there. It doesn't matter about anything really or what your job is or who you are, any of that stuff. We're all just out there doing, sharing this common goal and enjoying nature and enjoying this experience so you know in regular life you're like oh i don't want to go do my run today and you can sit on the couch and avoid it but when you're on the trail you have to put in your miles or you don't have enough food so it's really simple and you have these simple goals and i really enjoy that i feel like it kind of slows slows down life and you can really you got a lot of time to think and a lot of these beautiful interactions with people and beautiful interactions in town the people you meet in town it's all these weird little towns all over the country and you meet the strangest and coolest people and it really gives me a lot of faith in humanity too you know getting hitchhikes from all kinds of people from all different walks of life and people are letting you sleep in their house and just the true kindness of strangers it's made me and it makes most of us just a much better person this is a funny thing you're saying because I know what you mean but it's it's ironic that when we go do things that take us out of society and take us away from people you, you maybe would expect you'd learn to appreciate people but we like learn to value them more and trust them more and sure. all these things like the the idea is that you go off and you become a hermit and then you hate society and you don't be part of it but then like through hiking long distance hiking you take yourself out of it but you put yourself in this kind of micro society that makes you notice all the great things about society that are kind of obscured by those distractions we were talking about but they're still underlying all of that exactly yeah and when you're out there and you need that hitchhike to town and you're <laughs> like you could care less what the politics of the person right. picking you up is or any of that stuff. It's just it's just a person being kind to you and it's awesome. And people are so... It's weird because I feel like, you know, like you said, you a lot of people and even me sometimes you feel like you're out there escaping, but you find that you're actually connecting more with people. I feel like those few connections that you have on trail with those few other people you're hiking with or the people in town are deeper connections than even people you see on a daily basis in regular life. Yeah. And you don't really have those like, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's good. How are you doing? It's like, hey, how's it going? And you really tell somebody and you really open your heart out about it or you're like, fuck off. 
stuff I don't want to talk. And then it's like, it, it's cool and it's respected. And so it gives you those real conversations and interactions and it's really beautiful. And then you try to take it back into regular life and people are like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Why is he like telling me everything or, you know, be, being so open and nice and you're like, oh wait, I'm not on trail anymore. And you try to keep that up, but you realize people aren't as receptive <laughs> or are you sometimes you find the people that are. And so it's really cool. It's funny because this reminds me of something like, you know, I just did the JMT earlier and you know, that, that was just under a month. So it's not quite as long, but it's definitely long enough that you start to feel these ways. And I remember one of the saddest things for me and I went northbound. So I was ending in Yosemite as I was getting closer to the end, I was mostly running into day hikers. I was no longer running into other through hikers and those connections and those conversations we had, they ceased because I started learning that when I stopped to talk to people, one, they thought it was kind of weird because they were day hikers sometimes, or they didn't understand what the JMT was. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know what I was doing. They weren't having that experience and we couldn't share that stuff anymore. And it was a surprise to me that that was the thing that would, I was going to miss and be sad about was like that connection to other people through that way. Yeah, totally. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. And one of the best pieces of advice that someone told me on the AT, and I didn't really listen, but I was better about it on the CDT was... Uh, some guy on the AT told me that you know it's great to take all these photos of all the landscapes but he told me to take photos of the people oh, and yeah, yeah that's good advice I, you know just to pass that along to anyone listening you know the people you're hiking with but also the people in town so that's what I did a little bit on the CDT was just hey can I take your picture to someone that gave us a hitchhike and I'm like okay that's weird but <laughs> I find that I look at those and those make me smile more than like the crazy mountain views and the sunsets and right. all that's wonderful but it's like seeing those weirdos that gave you a ride those cool weirdos and seeing the, all the people on trail everybody's so interesting it's like it's such a diverse you know you think it's not a diverse group of people because you're like oh it's just a bunch of people that love hiking but all of our backgrounds are so interesting and talking talking to what people do back home and what jobs they have and how people are out there and the more people like that you talk to on the AT it was a lot of people that was their one hike you know and I met a lot of people was their first hike and a lot of the people I hiked with that was their only hike on the CDT a lot of people were finishing their triple crown so you're like talking to the real hiker trash and the real people that this is their life and so it's really interesting and encouraging to hear how everyone makes it possible and I'm one of those people I've you know it's my second major through hike my third through hike and I'm still like how do people do this all the time even though I'm one of those people I'm still always trying to figure it out so being on the CDT and talking to all these people it's kind of encouraged me to want to keep doing it and even on the CDT I was like all right now I should get a career job in the outdoor industry <laughs> and I should not like you know maybe I can swing the long trail but I don't think I can do another through hike and now I'm like oh man I can do another through hike and I can just keep doing this and I can do it without completely draining my bank account and I can do it and still figure out a way to to have jobs and places to live to come back to and I guess it's weird the more I do it the more I want to keep doing it and the more I realize how possible it is to do it that's the other big thing is I've made huge sacrifices in the past to do it but for the CDT in particular it wasn't as crazy of a sacrifice and now you know talking about post-trail depression I don't have any I'm super stoked I'm happy to go back to work and I'd love to still be hiking, but I, I'm I'm pretty happy with what I did, and I, and I'm realizing that there's more opportunities in the future. So that's been like a big shift since finishing the CDT versus like the AT. So here's the cheesy kind of question I never ask people, but for some reason I think it's justified here. 
So you were facing this big decision early on where it's choose the AT or choose this career path that was what your life was supposed to be building towards. And you chose the trail and you made that decision. And seeing how your life has developed since then, if you went back and talked to your past self in that moment, who's like agonizing over that decision, what would you have to tell yourself? I would tell myself, do it, man. Don't even think about it and it'll all work out. And that sounds so cheesy. And you know, my answer is just as cheesy as the question, (laughs) I guess. But you just say, man, just do it because it's all it like it. You find that way. Just like when you're on trail, they always say the trail provides and you're dealing. Oh, man, I didn't buy enough food or how are we going to hitchhike to this town? It's so hard to get a hitch here. And then you always get an easy hitch there and you always have someone like, hey, I bought too much food. Do you want some? I feel like that trail provides saying goes beyond the geographic boundaries of the trail. It's almost like that the lifestyle of it. You know, when you I finished the CDT and I thought, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to get a job right away. I'm going to burn through all this savings. And then I got a job pretty quickly. It really does work out if you have the right mentality. You know, like I said, I wanted to hike in 2017. I didn't hike again until 2019. And two years isn't a huge amount of time. But that whole time I had wanted to do it. And But it worked out so much for the better. And so I think patience is huge. And you learn that on trail that, you know, when you're doing a 2000 plus mile hike, or even like the shorter hike I did, the BMT, even a 300 mile hike, it's you have to be patient and kind of figure things out on the fly. And you have to have a little bit of an idea of what you want to do and how you want to frame your life and your job situation and whatever. But if you just go with the flow, kind of roll with the punches, it all tends to work out. At least it has in in my situation. In the past, I was pretty anxiety ridden person. And when I was working those jobs, I was like, I got to do this grad program and I got to get this job and it'll lead to this job. And then when I would have a failure or things wouldn't work out, I'd get super overwhelmed and stressed out and it made things even worse. But on trail, you learn like, all right, I can't do this mountain or I can't be a northbounder. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to flip flop. And now I got to take this route instead of this one. And all right. And then it's, it's rad and it's fun. So just applying those lessons you learn on trail to regular life, it works out the same way. And so the trail, like I said, it's really, you simplify everything down. And then I think a lot of people, myself included, at times you get off trail and you put yourself back into complicating everything. But if you can just kind of keep that mentality and keep living simply, it does tend to work out. It's like the trail is that microcosm, but you can apply that to regular life. It's a little harder, but you can apply those lessons. And if you can kind of keep the way you were on trail into regular life, I think it tends to work out similarly. So if you've intrigued people and they want to know more about your life and they want to follow along on your future adventures, how do they do that? Instagram's the only social media I do, but you can find me at Sean Camp, S-E-A-N-K-A-M-P. And you can send me a message, man. I'm always down to talk to people and shit, I'll give you my number we can talk on the phone i'm down i love inspiring people to get out there i love answering questions and uh you know i can put you in touch with someone that can answer it if i can't and definitely hit me up and ask away because it's fun talking to people about it and you can definitely do it doesn't really matter where you're at you can get out there and there's plenty of trails and some are easier and harder than others and you can definitely get out there even if it's just for a weekend if you if you want to do it go for it and you're never too old met a lot of old people on trail. I hope I'm one of those old people in the future. I think a lot of people think it's really expensive too. And I told you kind of my figures, but you can do it cheaper. And you also got to keep in mind, you're not, at least for me, the way I left things, you're not paying rent when you're out there. So if you're spending a thousand dollars a month to be through hiking, that's a lot cheaper than what I was paying rent and food and this and that back in regular life. So it's, it's not as crazy expensive as you think it is and you can figure out how to do it. And like I said, the, the lifestyle aspect, if, if, if you're, maybe if you're someone that's through hiked a trail before and you want to do another one or you're worried about 
careers or jobs. There's a lot of awesome opportunities. A lot of people I met out there, and most of the people I met out there don't work in the outdoor industry. I, I feel very lucky and grateful that I get to, but there's a lot of cool avenues and things you can do to get out on trail. So my advice in that sense, definitely hit me up and I'll tell you some of those ideas. <laughs> so usually what I do right now, and maybe you just did it unintentionally, is this the part where I say, before we finish, is there a final thought you want to leave people with? Yeah. I mean, I, basically what I just said is if you want to do it, go do it. It's cliche, but life is short and you can do it. And it's never too late to make decisions. I'm glad I came to some of these realizations early on, but it's really awesome to get out there. And it's not just through hiking. I mean, there's people that want to do a crazy long road trip or get into surfing or whatever it may be. Being outside as much as possible and and getting to travel and meet new people and be open-minded and meet other people doing those activities and meet the people in town, I think it's extremely beneficial to kind of broaden your horizons, even if it means getting out of your town and just driving for the weekend and going to some small town and sitting down at the diner and talking to the old guy drinking coffee. It's a lot can be learned by just talking to people. And I've learned so much from the people that are in those small towns that haven't ever left those towns. They're fascinating to me. I know I fascinate them and they fascinate me. I guess just keep an open mind and and go explore and be willing to take risks and scare yourself. And I think generally it works out. It's not an easy path sometimes to figure out what you want to do, but I think just taking that first step to do it, you might realize what you want to do is completely different than what you thought it was. And it might lead to some awesome things. So I think people just take that first step, uh, get out there and do what you want to do. It's possible. Well, dude, thanks a bunch for sitting down with me and doing this. I'm going to finish this up now. I'm going to let you go home so you can get ready for your new job in the morning. Yeah, I got to get a couple more GoldenEye games in there. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, thanks thanks for recording this. Yeah, right on, man. It was awesome to meet you, and thanks for having me on. So much like it has for everyone, COVID-19 has upset Sean Camp's plans. He was prepared to begin the PCT heading southbound, but he has had to change those plans. But I do not think that any of us need to worry because I think it's safe to say that Sean will find his way back onto a long distance trail as soon as that is a possibility. And we have come to that time of the show where I invite you all to head to our website, gogetoutside.com. Look for this episode 103 with Sean Camp. And there you will find photographs of Sean on the trail and links to his Instagram page. And I would like to invite all of you to leave us a message here at the show. Let us know what you liked about this episode, past episodes, what you'd like to hear more of, what you didn't like, whatever you want to tell us. You can do that a number of ways. Send us an email, go at butcherbirdstudios.com or send us a text or leave a voicemail at 818-925-0106. And as always, please head to your podcast purveyor of choice, subscribe to the show, rate and review it if you would, and please share it with someone who you think would enjoy it. This episode of the Go Get Outside podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by me, your host, Jason Milligan. Additional help came from Griffin Davis, and as always, it has been brought to you by Butcher Bird Studios. Next time on the show, come back July 1st for the final episode of Season 5. If you have listened to multiple episodes this season, you have probably heard me asking for people to leave voicemails to be included in a special John Muir Trail episode. Well, that episode is arriving 
So if you have ever done the John Muir Trail or you are interested in doing the John Muir Trail or just interested in hearing more about it, then come back July 1st for a 26-day travel diary of life on the John Muir Trail. See you then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. What makes a Carnival Cruise fun? A picture-perfect beach day at Cozumel or a tropical adventure to Mayan ruins with snorkel excursion for good measure. A delectable surf and turf at sea topped off with craft cocktails at Alchemy Bar. Now, get some Z's. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Why? Because no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. Hey, friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com.